0: to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer, bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby, sharing ideas to make the game better.
1: Welcome to episode 93 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Leslie McKenzie. Leslie hails from Fort Nelson, British Columbia in Canada, and is the women's head coach for the Japan Rugby Football Union. She represented Canada at two Rugby World Cups and earned 25 caps. Leslie had coaching roles with UBC before moving to New Zealand as a rugby development officer. She has been based in Japan for 3 years now and it's a pleasure to have her on the show so welcome Leslie.
2: Konnichiwa and thank you for having me.
1: Oh nice. I like that. How's the Japanese going?
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, it's a little bit better. I'd say better after <laughs> camps and then it takes a real dip. So, I've taken no formal lessons so it's impressive enough.
1: <laughs> cool. Don't <Yep>. speak language. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And um, you know, it's uh exciting role that you're in, in in Japan. We'll we'll touch on that in a little while. What about your backstory from growing up in Fort Nelson, Canada, which for for people who aren't on top of their Canadian geography, that's that <laughs> that's about sixteen hundred Ks north of Vancouver. So uh what what do you do up there?
2: Uh, we were free range kids, so my brother awesome. and I we basically, and it was the 80s. So, like, get out of the house, yeah, see ya, don't come back. We'll see you at 6 p.m., not before that. <laughs> Otherwise, be mooching around the kitchen asking for what's for dinner. So, it was like not real organized sport territory. Mm. Um, pretty few opportunities, you know, indoor soccer and stuff in the winter, but if you, if you weren't in organized hockey, which was expensive and for boys and mm. you might drive down and billet in Fort St. John or Dawson Creek or something, you're not doing much. So yeah, yeah just sort of like camping, fishing forts, snow shoveling, massive awesome. amount of that. Yeah, yeah. So um, when we moved south, I took pretty much every opportunity for the sports that you didn't have to be a real killer at yet. So yeah. couldn't dribble didn't bother with basketball, um, tried netball. Didn't have oh, yeah? To <laughs> yeah? Really? Yeah. Cool. So literally like anything that you didn't already have to have like an acquired skill set, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll have a bit of that. So just rowing, netball, field hockey, yeah. Just
1: cool. Born for running straight and smashing into things by the sounds of it.
2: Yes, yeah. All of those other <laughs> things fell by the wayside and when I found rugby because that was what it was about, yeah.
1: Yeah, awesome. And what were those first playing experiences like? How did you get into the game?
2: Um, genuinely wanted to play field hockey when I got to UDC, mm-hmm. so I knew that I wanted to play a sport, really liked actual organised sports seated in my nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually literally got mononucleosis first day of school So felt really sick. All of a sudden couldn't do anything. Like just I was such a stress case. It was no small surprises happened to me. But um (laughs) then obviously you can't play any sport, you can't do anything. So I went from doing four to five different sports at high school and gym and stuff like that to nothing. And then continue to eat because I thought like those didn't have a correlation, so I sort of waddled out to rugby. When I saw the poster on the bathroom door in the gym in January, I thought like, yeah, they'll have me until I'm fit enough to play field hockey. <laughs> Seriously, never went back.
1: Nice, cool. Yeah. And did you? So you played with UBC? Did you go on with club as well, or was there, that what yeah, your club?
2: Yeah, um, UBC was my club. So we had the the varsity team played in the which I made after two years of going mm-hmm. hard. Awesome. I, uh, Played four years or my five years at varsity. And they also played in the BC Women's Premier League as well.
1: Yeah. So
2: I squeezed every last season I could out of that. And then uh, we actually started up a UBC Old Boys women's team, the Ravens down at Jericho. Mm -hmm. Which fell over after a couple of seasons, but then sort of limped up to the Marilomas for the last season of club before 2010 World Cup.
1: Nice.
2: That was it for me. Played a couple of club seasons in Wellington during that time, and then also went um, when I moved down there. I played a couple of club seasons for Wainui, Wainui Mata, um, and then hung it up. Now yeah, boys,
1: as it as it happens for with, with all of us. Um, <laughs> and what had the, had the Canada selection come about? You know, that's an interesting pathway.
2: I just like I've always been really hung up on what what can I achieve with this what can Mm -hmm. I do what level can I get to and it's sort of a it's not a disingenuous way of putting why I'm motivated to do certain things because I Mm -hmm. do like trying to climb to the top of something and have a look at at what the landscape is from there so once I sort of decided rugby is going to be what I'm going to do and sort of found that there were some some hooks in the sport that that worked well with my attributes and what I like doing. It was just sort of natural progression. Like I'm not going to stop until I get to the highest possible standard that I can reach. Mm. Uh, so I spent one year, like you and I talked earlier about rugby being a late entry sport. I spent mm. one season, two seasons with Canada under 23 program with um, Slago, Rick Suggett and Spencer nice. Robinson, which was nice. It was awesome. Really um foundational in terms of of what I wanted my Canada experience to look like but there were heaps of girls around me at UBC and onwards that had played you know under 17 Canada under 19 Canada and I felt really um sort of behind the starting line on that mm-hmm. realized you know later with some with some perspective that wasn't necessarily the case because you are a product of everything that you've done prior to and yeah. it is really great cases for range rather than sort of a Tiger Woods-style entry to the sport. Um, yeah. So don't regret any of that. Certainly appreciate everything that I took into that in terms of what made me the type of player that I became. And then, yeah, um, seven years with the National 15s program was was great in terms of things that it teaches you about yourself, not necessarily in the moment, but upon some <laughs> reflection later. Good.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a good one for for player identification too. It's you don't have to have gone to this school or have played this many years in a sport like rugby. It's there is mm. there's so much you know general physical attributes that you can bring to the game, and with, with time and effort, uh, players are going to potentially produce for you.
2: Hundred percent. Like I think um, and that's something that i really noticed looking at some of the the different player programs, development programs I've been involved in since then and since moving from playing into coaching and working in development is it's really not where did the kid go to school. Mm -hmm. Um, It's what else about the kid is going to make him or her a good rugby player. And often, you know, for example, a real strong example is working in Wanganui as a development officer um, having a bit to do and that's a that's a heartland Union. so that's a small rural province where it's sort of farming and agriculture and mm. and forestry is the sort of key industries. Um, what does a kid do before he comes to school? It's going to make him special on the rugby field. And in a lot of those rural provinces, there's a lot there. Mm. And you can see um, I guess all the the intersections of some of life, the way they've been brought up, the people they've been brought up around and what's important to them. So like I laugh about snow shoveling, but we had a hell of a long driveway. (laughs) We had a lot of stuff (laughs) growing up. Yeah, it is tough work. So it's real, you know, you just get stuck into some work and same thing, working on a ranch in the summers in, in and the Caribou. Um, You just get stuck into work that lasts a long time. It's Mm. physical, uncomfortable um, and it doesn't stop till you've done the jobs. So I think those things go into a rugby player as much as anything else. Yeah, and those good. are like, if, if people think that you've got to go to a certain school and that school's in the middle of this city, that's um, not a great recipe all the time.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Awesome. And what about those you mentioned, you know, you, you spent some time in New Zealand, but you you also were, were coaching a little bit at UBC during your time there. What what were those early coaching experiences like? What was, was
2: so what were some lovely. of your
1: highlights?
2: Oh, if you could put a highlight reel together. <laughs> I don't know if it's a highlight reel, it might be more bloopers, <laughs> but like just as a as a new coach, so I began working with the second division team. There we had two mm-hmm. two teams: a varsity team, and then there was a development team that played in BCRU second div. And um, I was told while I was still a player, like you're injured, but we'll still give you the free gym pass if you coach the seconds. So <laughs> yeah, like, um, I really enjoyed doing that because just finding out what the key what's the key to to a big step forward and okay so it's tackle tech let's work on that and then give you some shortcuts and then like just got hooked on the the joy in the faces when they've done something Mm -hmm. well and they're like oh shit like that's actually not as hard as I thought it was great so that's a real a real pat on the back for you if you want to if you want to give yourself the credit for that. But just, like, finding the key to that door was so rewarding and so entertaining, mm. um, so enjoyable that when UBC asked me to take over the head coaching role for the varsity team when I'd finished my eligibility, I think I was still finishing up my master's at the time. I've honestly – It feels that long ago. I spent so many years there, but um, I thought like, nah, I'm not really. That's a really big job. I'm not ready for that. But um, Spencer Robinson actually had a talk to me, and he said like, nah, you got to stress yourself and strain. You know, same as as getting big in the gym, you got to stress the muscles to get stronger. So I said yes. Yeah, really good advice because I've just applied that same principle to everything. After that, but but with the UBC gig, I'm really so grateful that I had the opportunity. I think I coached three full seasons there, and um starting out, I made so many mistakes, like mm. and <laughs> like in terms of highlight reels, genuinely, it would have been so many more mistakes than than highlights in terms of what I did. But the whole mm. thing was a highlight in that like learned so much about how to interact with people and what some of my weaknesses were. Like mm. it's a, it was a running joke by the time I left, but I felt like I had to put distance between myself and the current players because I was so young and I was only recently removed. And like, I think I still had a bit of chip on my shoulder as an old vet, you know, like all oh, mm. these kids these days. And kids these like, kids <laughs> these days before he was younger than me. Um, so it became a joke because like I was quite, prickly and like, Oh, i I don't hug people. And then I was like, Oh, maybe I do hug people. And just, I couldn't be genuine to <laughs> myself, it was really weird, but it was funny. And by the end of the time I was there, like most people just laughed at it, which yeah. was funny. Myself yeah. included, but like those opportunities to, to try things and then to see how they worked and, oh yeah, a bit heavy handed with that. Or, you know, this was really helpful in terms of how do I see her as a person first, like loved that stuff. And then had some good support from some people back in New Zealand around um, just what's real key. So you're starting basically from scratch. Where do you need to go with that? Women's team, injury prevention has got to be your major one and then go from there. So like, mm. had some great guidance. It was the opportunity to ask some really good questions and then um, take the answers and then work out where to go from there. So I think that was, that was the great opportunity and now that I think about it, the great opportunity has always been what questions am I now going to be empowered to ask or or forced to ask about the next task? It's yeah. cool in terms of, of finding out and developing.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's important and it's a, it's a good philosophy to have. And, you know, obviously New Zealand shaped your your coaching philosophy quite a bit while you're there can you can you briefly explain your time there and and what that actually did uh in terms of impacting your the way you coach now
2: yeah i think so and i think again andy like when i say the the time as an athlete gives you an opportunity to reflect but maybe not till later and my time at uvc gives me the opportunity to reflect, maybe not till later. Same with New Zealand, like I was thinking about that question. What's going to be my answer to that? And I think just overall, um, I ended up dealing with a lot of different kinds of teams, different ages, um, Mm. men, women, boys, girls, mixed at schools, like different kinds of schools. And so at the front end of things, I think the tendency is to – to try and fit the same shoe on every foot. And you're like, Mm. right, this is what I think this is what needs to be done is how it needs to look. Mm. And then you go around and you try and enforce that onto every situation. I think that's the early tendency to say like, this is what I really believe in. I'll hang my hat on these couple of keys. Mm. And then um, later on thinking about the efficacy of that and what are the what was the response like? Was it really good? What was actually the the good response in response to It sounds stupid, but, um, the key threads there, I think are everybody likes to learn something. Mm-hmm. So if you can, if you can introduce the kind of environment where everyone gets an opportunity to learn, to be engaged and to be like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Like I feel like I can do that now. I've got more mm-hmm. power to do that. Um, Everyone likes to learn stuff. Everyone likes that challenge and that application. I think everyone needs to feel some joy in whatever they're doing in yeah. sport. I think enjoyment is really important, but the it's not for me. Joy isn't about like, oh, I'm really happy every day. It's like, have you been able to challenge yourself to overcome something and to find some joy alongside your teammates in a cause and a purpose? That's where I think rugby really serves us and serves that idea and then um, you need honesty to bring all of that about so that, that's sort of my coaching philosophy is opportunities for, um, for bravery and challenge opportunities to find joy and then um, honesty is what's going to underpin that so if you haven't got that sort of feeding into the challenges, how do you challenge people? How do you question them? How do you um, provide the platform to create those emotions? Then you're not gonna get very far. So I think, um, deal, like long story long, <laughs> dealing okay. with heaps of different groups and, and different needs. And sometimes you're with them for a couple of weeks, sometimes a whole season, whatever it is, like, what do they need? Mm. And then be responsive to that. And I think um yeah, it was a really good learning learning curve for me from going from Wellington in a in a girls and women's development officer role and dealing with a heap of different issues and people who wanted different things and and being on the sort of front foot of of the women's rugby resurgence down there was cool. It was exhausting, but cool. Hmm. And moving into the heartland, totally different group of people invested in the game, needing different things, but like great in terms of coach development for myself, yeah. because it keeps you agile and keeps you responsive to who needs what, what do they need? Shit, that's just changed. Cause you know, that kids had to go inside because all bloody knows now we're down to five kids or um, this is a premier group needs work on scrum. How are we going to deal with that? Where do they come from today? What's in the background from work? Sort of things. So being responsive and being adept at changing to fit their needs is is great practice. Yeah. Like I would, I would recommend that to anybody. Not specifically. Go to New Zealand, be a rugby development officer. But um I think it's a underrated in terms of coach development mm. is getting across a number of different environments and different populations
1: yeah no I know from my own coaching that's that's been crucial um I also know like that 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 switch that you're talking about there where it's like instead of what do I need as a coach what do they need is as, as a player yeah. that's that's key I think that's a big big step that coaches need to make to develop and to get better
2: big time I think um and it's it's easy to not make that differentiation when you are really invested in it Mm -hmm. when you talk about your ego and how are you going to look when you pull this off what's it going to do for you and where do you want to take it like Mm -hmm. that's what it's really easy to go down the the path of how you want to impose things rather than respond to things
1: yeah cool all right and now well you know, now after New Zealand, you're into Japan. How did that uh, Japanese role come about? What was the pathway there for you?
2: So Japan, I was working in Wanganui at the time, and um, Japan rugby had been doing some looking around. They specifically wanted a female coach. This was to to work with the Sevens um, girls at the time, and they said, we we're looking for a woman because we want to encourage that and sort of role modelling in that that visible pathway for our players. And, and the question they sort of asked was like, who's in New Zealand and who's who's who? And I was certainly not who's who at the moment, but um, it, it is a little bit who you know. Because yeah. Kelly McCallum had done some coaching. She's a former Canadian international and captain and coached in Japan and coached in Queensland and whatnot. So she said, oh, you need to call Les. Um, she's doing all kinds of things. She always pumps my tires like way further than they ought to be but <laughs> the result was and relationships in Japan are really strong so yeah. it's really very much about who you know here because there's a implied level of trust trust is yeah. built on relationships here rather than we'll have a look at your CV first so it is very much who you know and they emailed me and I thought well I don't see this being a viable option like I don't <laughs> really think they know who they're contacting but um, I ended up coming over for a couple of different like, say, a week here, a week there, just to do some work with the Sevens program. Mm-hmm. And um, they invited me full-time after I joined them for the Sydney leg and then I moved over here. What was it? would have been two months after that in 2019, 2018, sorry. Yeah. I've been here Amazing. since a
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, uh, what's, that, what's that culture shock like of are, you in, are oh. you in Tokyo or...? No,
2: I'm not. I'm in the... I'm in the country, actually. I'm in um, Saitama is the province. It's an right. hour a bit up and to the left of Tokyo, half an hour on the Shinkansen, hour and a quarter by pleb train. And it's right <laughs> in the middle of a bunch of fields. So like this is farming country, right? Um, which is great for the dog. So <laughs> this is an open space. And that was part of the thing. The deal for me is like, I need to be able to bring the dog because I got him in Wanganui, and I can't get rid of them so yeah Um, i've got a house a little bit of a yard and i've like picked up another dog (laughs) for my friends so um but it is it's a nice it's bloody hot in the summer like not too nauseous but it's it's insanely hot in the summer so it is a bit of um character building here it's been three plus years of character building through the summer months but yeah
1: so what's the, what's the state of the the women's and girls' game in Japan? What, how are things progressing there? What what are the where are the hotspots for for playing and those kind of things?
2: So one of the one of the reasons I'm here in Kumagaya is they based the women's sevens here. So the okay. women's sevens have a resident. It's sort of residential, but they're almost never home. So they're always sort of going in into camp somewhere else, or at least prior to COVID. Um, but they've got a really strong club program here. And sevens has been the game, the women's game in Japan for the past several years, probably mm-hmm. since the, the Olympic status was formally announced. Um, that's where all the sort of the money went into. And there's been a 15s program, but it's the kind that, you know, countries dust off for a year or so prior to the World Cup qualifying or mm-hmm. the year up. So that was what I inherited in 2019 was – it was a long dormant 15s program um, and some girls that were not disillusioned, but just sort of, you know, there's that, that sense of well, what about us when you see heaps of money going into a really well-resourced, well-funded Sevens series. Um, mm. It's got a mega sponsor. Like I'm going to a, a Sevens tournament this weekend. It kicks off the Tayo Seme series um, in Tokyo. It's at Chichibunomiya Stadium. They play in huge stadiums. This is a yeah. huge cost. the sevens comp, and then 15s is very much the the poor cousin at the moment. But that's part of the challenge is I want to change that. So we yeah. want to change that stature because there's some really, really good girls coming through the high schools in terms of 15s. We've got a brilliant um, under-19 tournament, kobelco under-19 tournament, end of August, unless it's a COVID year. So last year's was cancelled, but there's some – some great talent, some great capabilities, but we just need to keep those bigger girls in the game. And invested. Yeah. in clubs need to see that 15s has got something to offer them.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, that, that probably leads me to my next question. How are you approaching the role in, in terms of profiling your, your team style of play? You know, you mentioned genetics is probably on play there in terms of physical attributes, but also the size of the player pool. How, how are you going about that?
2: Yeah, the size of the player pool is, is, it's going to be the ultimate sort of parameters for any kind of decisions you think as a coach you want to make. So mm. going to be limited by that. But um, anyone who watched Japan in the 2019 World Cup, and everyone should have because they mm. were outstanding, you know, they know how Absolutely. we're going to play they know how that's the blueprint for success at the moment for Japanese athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, although we haven't got sort of your, your handful of Kiwis and South Africans and whatnot, you know, squad. odd. We don't have any of that, <laughs> but, um, but very much about, uh, work ethic is it, you know, no one's going to be surprised to hear that, but just high sort of power to body weight ratio and repeatability and, um, skill accuracy so the things that make make japan good on an international level are going to be things in their culture that's long been stressed in terms of mastery and, and accuracy and diligence towards improvement and that makes them an absolute joy to coach to be honest it's wonderful yeah yeah,
1: yeah and you got to i think coming in as a as a coach you've got to mold your culture that you want of the team around what the culture is of the country you can't you can't implant a culture that you think is going to work with that team
2: no i think i remember the press conference when when i was announced as a head coach and somebody said oh you've been in new zealand for the last whatever years like are they going to play like the black fern like no <laughs> Oh, uh, no, I'd be gone pretty quick if that was the case. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is, like you said, you've got to be able to put aside what what you are and mm. what you you think is probably key. And then, to be honest, I think probably at the moment I'm a good fit for them
1: mm-hmm.
2: because the things that, that I think are important and at the moment, it won't shock anyone if I say that um, – our entry ticket to the international game is improving our ability in contact.
0: Mm-hmm. No one's
2: falling off their chair hearing that. So um, <laughs> it happens to be an area where I enjoy coaching and I yeah. think there's a lot of game to be made in the women's game on that sort of, that ticket. So, yeah, I okay, think at cool. the moment I'm a good fit for them and then we'll see how they evolve past me in the next couple of years.
1: Nice one! Well, you just you just out of a camp with the women's team. What did that look like? How long were you with the players? What kind of structure was it? And what kind of cool things did you get up to in that that time?
2: Kind <laughs> of cool things. So we um, <laughs> <laughs> we had them for five days, and they're actually, like I said, they're on the front end of their seventh season now. So we knew that imminently they were going to get hammered by sevens programming, mm-hmm. sevens training, sevens, sevens, sevens. So we thought, well, um, we're not going to hit them with heaps of, of big picture game stuff. And we're not going to hit them with lots of, of, um, you know, systems and, and play from set piece. Cause that's relevant for them for the next couple of, couple of months.
1: Yeah. So
2: what, what the focus ended up being. And also we were at the, um, international Budo university. So that's the Budo is martial arts. And so we were in the land of dojos and mat rooms and whatnot. Oh, so we, set up, we always set up a mat room and our team room is our mat room. And we ended up spending most of the camp on the mats. Um, are they doing workshops? Like this is a good window to talk about sleep for us. Mm-hmm. We know that they're probably awake too much on their screens too much. And then just some, some breakdown stuff and some, ball into contact stuff and just things that like we'll close this chapter, this sort of 15th chapter, especially knowing that the world Cup's going to be postponed. We'll close this and we'll give them some tools for the upcoming seven season. And that's, that's it. We just wanted a chance to be together and and have a bit of closure. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, in terms of cool things, what do we do? We brought the injured players into this camp and on the last day we staged like a, Oh, it was a rescue. We got them to film a video and so then say, like, we're lost and we don't know where we are. And like, you have to come and find us, but you need to bring supplies. And so we had uh, awesome. a bit of a challenge. So they had to get up sort of to a, a scenic lookout that was a bit of a half hour run through the streets, down the hills, up the hills. And then they had points for which gear they took with them. So jugs of water or tackle bags or boxes of energy proteins or whatever. So yeah. It was it was entertaining on the last day.
1: Epic. That's right up my alley. I love that
2: stuff.
1: <laughs> I do the whole camp like that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it was just, um, yeah, like, just to be able you know, to pull out something to surprise them and, and to have a bit of fun. And, like, oh, I've mm. been going to do that on that location since we went there for the first camp that we had. So I was like, oh, it's perfect. Let's do it this time. Let's get them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> awesome. yeah cool and what what about what about covid what are, what have you been you know doing in terms of trying to you know you mentioned that the the women's world cup is is postponed how, how have you been trying to make sure that the the team is still tracking well for for when it's announced that it's a go ahead
2: it was a massive gift for us to be honest yeah we were really lucky to be we were in our last camp and um I should just explain we have a ton of camps, but it's because the domestic competition is quite minimal and mm-hmm. um, probably coach development and and that isn't as, it's not at the point that we need it to be. So we have to have lots of camps um, and, and just in small numbers of days, maybe five days, four days, but just have consistency and keep, Keep forward momentum. So, we were lucky enough to be in camp when we got that information. It was the last day we actually woke up. We were meant to play a game that day and said, right, we're going to do this a little bit differently. Here's the news. You would have heard that. We're going to have a chat about it. Have a talk. You old girls that were at the last World Cup, you go away, have a talk about your feelings, do some crying if you need to um babies over here middle girls over here everybody have a chat and then we'll we'll do some work on the field if you want in the afternoon play some play some games or whatever so we changed that and it just like that would have been prob- probably harder to deal with if we hadn't just been through the last 13 months of changing this changing this changing mm. this so, like, everyone's adapted at, at, footwork now and agility around that corner and like okay now what the hell are we going to do so i don't even really i don't see it as an issue anymore
1: because yeah.
2: job is just constantly like right didn't work what are we gonna do now right mm. we're not going there, what are we gonna do now so and and probably now that i say that out loud lucky to have had the opportunity so many times to change a position to change a plan to move on the fly um Whereas if we'd had, so US have had a couple of big residential camps, it's a lot harder when you're trying to get athletes from all across the country mm. to a big, big block camp. It's harder to change your plans. Whereas yeah. for us, we were just sort of light and nimble and, yeah. Yeah,
1: just and just that, just that Japanese stoicism Japanese game probably games. helps
2: yeah that does help (laughs) it does help but they're a young team and that's what i was going to say earlier like we've been gifted they're a young team um we're not where we could be physically yet Mm -hmm. we're better than we were but we're not where we could be so you know another year and luckily we probably still enjoy each other's company at this stage so it's
1: good it's always a bonus (laughs) It is. <laughs> uh, you mentioned a little bit there about coach development. What's what's that look like in Japan, especially in terms of female coaches and, and what's your role in that?
2: I don't actually, yeah, like I, it's a really good question. So formal coach development is sort of closed to me because I don't speak the language mm-hmm. and it is very formal coach development. Like I know there's a lot of paperwork that gets filled out and there's a lot of probably seminars that get attended to because I've seen people sort of going in and out of the little room at the JRFU and they're being educated. But as you and I could probably go on at length about um, coach development is about getting the opportunities to coach, having somebody there to question, getting some feedback, doing some reflection, and then sort doing of the challenge. Yeah. And um, in that sense, I think it's got a long way to go here. It's got a long way to go and that's no different from a lot of other countries. Yeah. But what I'm trying to do because I've been a coach educator, like in New Zealand, that was part of my role. And then it's always been something I've been interested in. And, uh, what I'm trying to do at the moment with some women around me and then with a chunk of my players is, is just begin that process informally. So, Mm -hmm. We're not doing certification because it, at a certain stage, like screw certification, it doesn't mean anything. No, great. But what process can be is: are you, are you questioning each other? Are you developing an ability to be questioned and to look at what you've been doing, reflect, and improve, and enjoy that process? And um, we've got driver groups that are looking at different areas of the game. We've got sort of analysts that are working with those girls in terms of how do you see it. Um, how would you talk about that? Can you summarize mm. your key points for the group? And then around me, um, I've got a couple of women that are coming along as coaches as well. So I think it's it's not a real formal process, but I do see it as my my obligation mm. to to give on that level of things to the the Japan women's program in the domestic program. We we also try to invite like if it's not covid we try to say any domestic club coaches you're more than welcome to come to any of our sessions like come be in the camp we'll help you arrange for accommodation and stuff and then just ask anything you want that's awesome yeah
1: yeah no and that'll that'll pay dividends down the track and you know the the more the more female coaches in the game the better i'm i'm an assistant coach to a female coach and I, it's been a great learning experience for me, so I, I think um you know the the games for for everyone and especially for a country like Japan with the women's fifteens team they'll they'll need that to to grow that game.
2: I think so i I probably think in Japan it's more relevant to actively develop female coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just in terms of the, the culture here yeah. and the way it traditionally fits with who's doing the telling and who's doing the listening, you do need <laughs> to intentionally build those groups. But I think just in general, coach development, like I'm not, I'm not saying elsewhere that women necessarily need too much of a handhold. Like I think people are pretty well equipped to get mm-hmm. on with it. And then just to to keep chasing opportunities, but in cool. Japan, a little bit different.
1: Yeah, no, cool. All right. Well, last question before we wrap things up: you were recently uh, a panelist on the coast to coast coaching conference. It was a, a virtual conference put on by all the provinces here in in Canada. What were some of your big takeaways from from that experience? Because I've, I've been on conferences before as a speaker and I always get a lot out of it and then I really get excited about then going and applying it uh was there what were your big takeaways and what were some things that you applied in particular
2: I actually didn't think that I should mention the answer to this question to you earlier but to be honest like I really enjoy being a panelist but all of the stuff was on overnight yeah so yeah of
1: course the time change yeah
2: actually didn't catch any of it so such a terrible answer to it's the great
1: honest answer i yeah. love it
2: <laughs> <laughs> i caught um actually you know what i did enjoy though the morning that i got up to do my bit i think it was uh it was the the french language session with yeah. josh and Jamie josh and
1: francois and, uh, yeah that
2: was super cool yeah, yeah. like i would never i've never had an opportunity to just listen to that kind of conversation or just rare opportunity so i enjoyed that it caught a bit of the 15s sort of leadership group having a having a laugh after that so those were those were good but in terms of the conference I really enjoyed the opportunity to come and speak but cool looking program yeah. zero attendance from myself
1: <laughs> yeah well the te- the teacher doesn't have to attend all the other lessons that's we'll, we'll go with that one but you you were presenting on You were presenting on in-game coaching, I believe. What what were some of your key messages there?
2: I think the key one that I probably said was just like know when to shut up. So Mm. when are you actually – when are you talking for you? When are you talking for your players? Yeah. And then be be tactical about that. Mm -hmm. So I think that actually – it was funny thinking about that and reflecting and listening to people like um, Rob Halley and Tiff um, Faye that were on the panel – In the question, I think, you know what I thought they did really well in that session was bring in the um, the AFL, God, I feel like a dick, I don't remember his name, I think it was Jason, to speak about initially some of the research Mm. and uh, what do players hear from coaches and what kind of messaging is actually effective and then thinking about that.
1: And how the scoreboard drives that too.
2: 100% and then what about that is for you Mm -hmm. or because of you or um pivots on you and your emotional response to something and what percentage of that actually positively affects your players Mm -hmm. and then yeah just having a good hard look at your percentages is probably important
1: yeah and i think also in that is how meaningful and planned are you for your halftime interactions as well with your team do you do you touch base with your assistant coaches five minutes before and, and map that out? Do you have a structure that you go through? Do you make sure that the players are actually participating in that conversation or is it just like press play and go?
2: Yeah. To be honest, I've never really rated my own halftime contribution. So it was a <laughs> discussion I really wanted to be a part of because cool. I wanted to learn that. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, to be honest as well, nothing is humbling in terms of what's my – addition to this discussion uh, nothing's more humbling than not being able to speak the language mm. and then realizing when you say stuff sometimes it's into thin air no one hears it mm. no one understands it therefore no one can possibly care about it but like all i've done is say it into the air to get it off my chest and then yeah. think like, that was a completely egotistical remark it didn't have any effect to anyone no one translated it yeah yeah And so it's a really great tool for reflection is just not being understood. And then if you really want that to be heard, you got to go find somebody. And can you translate this, please?
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of the many challenges, no doubt. All right.
2: Well,
1: yeah, (laughs) sweet. All right. Well, we always end the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up in Fort Nelson, B.C. and other places in B.C., Uh, Who was one of your favorite rugby players or athletes that you really looked up to and admired what they did?
2: Yeah, there was no rugby playing about it, but I had Trevor Linden, Vancouver Canucks, number 16, and captain. Um, I reckon he just embodied everything that I thought was great about an athlete and a leader. Yeah. yeah people people listening Andy will know who I'm talking about and oh, what yeah I'm
1: talking yeah about. especially those out. in the southern hemisphere they'll be they'll be on top of this
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: <laughs> cool and what about now who are, who are some players going around in rugby that uh, you you enjoy how they they approach the game
2: I love watching I love watching Peter Stefsterto so mm-hmm. fell in love with his game when the box played the ABs in Wellington in mm-hmm. 2018 and he was just out on his feet. So I think it was um, who was it? Willie LaRue. Larue took a yellow card last 13 minutes, and then just the exhaustion to win that game with 14 people and just like intense work. I think yeah. that's everything that I like as a. It was what I liked as a player. It's what I love as a coach. And uh, yeah, he embodies that just work, work, and selfless attitude towards your teammates. Love yeah, that. He's a-
1: it's a big frame to move around the field too when you're one player down.
2: Yeah, you're not wrong, actually. That's something that we probably don't think about enough is how hard it is for those boys to get off the ground at the rate they do. Mm. So, yeah, actually complete polar opposite of my players here. Um, and then from just thinking because I've been watching the women's Six Nations in the past couple of weeks is the the two French props at the moment. I think people need to pay attention to them. Yeah. they beautiful, beautiful, players really skilled in their jobs and then just really good athletes. So loved watching those two. So I think it's Desay and um what's her name? Rose, Rose, Rose. The new Bernadette. That's the new one. Okay. So, yeah, she's young. I love watching those two. And I think um that needs to be a model for, for what women's type five players look like going forward in terms yeah. of what they can do. I love yeah, that. and
1: if any – any country can show us how, how it's done that's the French uh, with their their attacking style of play.
2: Absolutely. And to have two front row players consistently contributing to that is where the women's game needs to be.
1: 100%. All right. And third question, what about coaches? Who's who's a high-profile coach that you you like what they're doing?
2: I would love to go and observe uh, Brad Thorne at the Reds at the yeah, moment. Right. Yeah, right. I think probably a lot of the shift has been happening over the last – couple of years is maybe mm-hmm. more interesting in sort of year one year two year three but like just looking at where he's got that program now yeah what for those boys far out it'd be a really good that'd be a well well spent week I think if you could yeah. go and see some of that that said we always like to go and look at what we already like doing and, and <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean so maybe yeah. I should say Oh, somebody totally different, but now just huge respect for that. And mm. it's probably easier doing some of that messaging when you are Brad Thorne.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, you got some runs on the board for sure.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, no, but it's a good point. Year three, and you look at where where the starting point was, and they had some struggles in those first two years. And yeah. when it comes to building a, a team and a culture and and values around. How you want to be as a group? It takes time. It, it, yeah. It's just not an overnight thing, and you can see that happening with the Reds uh, big time. Although yeah. they do have, yeah. who have they got? This will this will come out after after the semi final, but they're uh, uh, they just got done by uh, by the Western Force in the, in Perth. So uh, good time to lose a match just before the semi. So they'll they'll bounce back massively. I feel
2: perfect time to lose a match, yeah. um, especially dead other But like. Yeah, I think what you're saying about a a young program taking the time to emerge. Mm. You've got to be able to demonstrate character and I think that goes for a program as well. So even even having those situations with a couple of players left um to go and and go overseas and, and chase those contracts. Yeah. there's a couple of second rows, don't need to name, but like they mm. got enough they got enough for that. Yeah. But, to, to be real principled about this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to run our team through COVID. You're either on the ship or well, you're no not. Yeah. yeah. I think those real public demonstrations are just reflections of how those smaller conversations would probably go in that program. That's where you get respect. If
1: yeah. And like, I think going back to earlier on in the the, the interview, it, it speaks to your values as a coach and how how have you formed your values. And those, those values are, you know, it's not wishy-washy. It's, this is, this is I value this, this is really important to me. And yeah. if you're going to go against my values, then we're, we're, we're going to have a conversation or we're going to part ways. And I think Brad Thorne the emulates
2: that. 100%. And that's where the trust is going to be placed in you because you're showing that consistency and, and that mm. character and the competency to sort of navigate through those discussions and the whole to what you're saying and so he's going to have bought so much trust in from his players fan base corporate sponsors management like they're all going to see that kind of consistency yeah and that that's going to reap rewards
1: yeah totally agree all right and final question before we wrap it up but what about someone in the grassroots who's a who's a who's a coach who doesn't have the profile of Brad Thorne that deserves some recognition <sighs>
2: That was a great question. I was sitting here being like, which <laughs> grassroots? Like, which country should I be talking about? Any. <laughs> um, you know, I had a really cool talk with Jess Nielsen, who's just started uh, head coach at York. Okay, and cool. Somebody who is a young player. She was a high school player when I was coaching at UBC. And um, she's, I think, gone through senior rep programs and whatnot. And she's now a head coach at a re- really young age. And so she and I just had a cool conversation on Zoom this week or Wicked. last week. And um, she had a lot of really interesting reflections and she had a lot of really great questions. And so I think she's going to do good stuff. So just um, keep an eye out for her.
1: All right. Well, well they're all good signs. Here,
2: and yeah, I think that was exciting <laughs> to to listen to her talk. So, yeah.
1: Awesome. Cool. All right, Leslie, well, it's been awesome having you on the show and great to chat about Japanese rugby and your your coaching journey. So, you know, I want to thank you for for giving up some of your time and, and good luck for the Rugby World Cup preparations whenever that will be. So thanks again.
2: Thanks, Andy, for having me.
0: No worries. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.